Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Jesus, you're the hero of the story. Um, Not a place, not a person, not a sermon, not a song. They all point to you because you're the hero of the story. You're the one who raises the dead. You're the one who brings sight to the blind. You're the one who calls us out of darkness and sets us into light. There's nothing we bring to the occasion that's of usefulness. We're just these, as Paul says, we're these clay cracked jars that aren't of much use, but the special stuff is what's inside, and that's the Spirit. And so, Jesus, tonight, would you give us the gift and the presence of your Spirit so that we can hear your voice, see your face, and be changed? That's what we want. That's what we need. And so, Jesus, give us that tonight. We pray it in your name, God, for your glory and for the kingdom. Amen. All right, so two, no, three weeks ago, we were at a camp My family and I were at a camp called Hope Hills Camp, and it is this beautiful camp for families who are experiencing disability. And so the entire camp is families, adults, and kids who are experiencing profound disabilities. And the way the camp works is the people who volunteer at the camp pay to go to the camp so that the campers and their families can all come for free. And then they're served all week long at this place. And so we had the opportunity to go and lead worship in this chapel um, in the worship, when you worship with people who are suffering profoundly, it's just a different experience. It's beautiful. It's an amazing place to worship. But one of our new friends that we met there, his name was Clay. And Clay stood up and spoke uh, one morning after we led worship, and he talked about the concept and the idea of thresholds. And he said a couple of things about thresholds. Uh, actually, Lily, my daughter, is really good at taking notes. I didn't take any notes. I was just listening. And then I texted Lily and I was like, hey, Lily, I saw you taking notes. Will you text me all your notes from Clay? Because I want to remember what he said. Um, But he said this about thresholds. Um, He said, thresholds are a place, it's a separation between what was and what will be. And the way he was talking about it, he said, imagine like you're walking out of the front yard and you're walking into somebody's home, like right there at the door, there's a threshold. And so you're walking out of one space and you're walking into another space that has defined walls and defined places. It's a completely different space. But to get in there, you step across this threshold. And then he talked about how so many times in our life, the threshold that God uses to take us from one space to another space looks a lot like wilderness like the step over spot to get us from one spot to the next looks like a wilderness space, a space we wouldn't have picked to go for ourselves. And he's speaking this message to people who are suffering profoundly. And he made all these beautiful statements. And I can't even say all the things I wish you'd have been there. But um, he said that, that as we walk in the wilderness, every step we take in the wilderness is one step closer to the promise. And so there's this thing set out in front of us. And so tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And Acts chapter 9 is this pivotal moment in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. And Midtown, you've been in the book of Acts now for a minute. And when you get to Acts chapter 9, this is a spot in the New Testament that should have like fireworks and ellipses and highlights around it because there's just a huge shift that's going to happen, not just in the life of Saul, but in our lives. Like we are still feeling the echo 
of what happens in Acts chapter 9 is we sit in this room tonight. What Jesus is about to do in the life of this man is going to have a profound impact on the church, and it is a threshold for Saul. Um, as we think about this threshold that Saul is going to go through, it's going to feel really familiar to some of us because it's going to be a moment of just absolute, of him being thrown in his back, his life being turned upside down and backwards. He's not going to know which way is up. And this is the kind of threshold lots of times that God invites us to step into. And if I'm honest, that is not the kind of threshold that we like to pick for ourselves. We would pick the kind of threshold, like I think Tuesday night they're going to draw the mega millions, and I think it's like one point a bajillion trillion dollars or whatever it is. And so we would say, that's the kind of threshold I need. Man, I need them to draw my number, and then that would be the kind of threshold I could set, and that would fix all of my problems. And the kingdom of heaven is upside down and backwards from that. God will actually say, I'm going to invite you something way different than that, and it's going to invite you into a space that's going to alter you completely. And so I just wrote this idea, what does it take to pull me, what does it take to pull you out of a place of this self-sufficiency, self-elevation, value based on achievement, whether you've done good or whether you've done bad, pride, selfishness, greed, what does it take to pull you out of that place into a place of surrender, humility, worship, service, and love? I'll just present to you tonight to get from the place I just described to the place that God wants to take you does not take one in the mega millions. It takes something that looks a lot like wilderness. It takes something that, that, that takes you from a place that you don't want to let go of and invites you into a space that's going to alter you completely. This is the story over and over and over again in the scripture. I mean, think about it. Israel, they wandered in the wilderness and God began to show them in the wilderness what kind of God it was that they were serving, what kind of God it was they had attached themselves to. It was not an immediate process. It was a process of wandering and learning. And so we're going to see here that God works in these kinds of ways. Tonight, we're going to see this change, this threshold in Saul, who will later be renamed Paul. And so as I sat with my wife, Emily, uh, we just got back. We camped in Colorado for like two weeks. We were on the side of the Slate River right outside of Crested Butte. I was telling in prayer time, I didn't take a bath for like 10 days. I smelled so amazing. When I took, when I took my first shower, like I looked down and the whole like body, we were in this hotel on the way home, the whole thing was brown. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, for times in the dirt, you know, like we were filthy. And so we were sitting. So Emily and I have this spot in Crested Butte. It's kind of our spot. It's kind of one of these spots. And we'll take chairs out there and we'll make coffee in the morning. And we take our coffee and we just talk and we stare at these craggly mountains with snow on them in the middle of July. And we just talk. And so we sat and we talked about Acts chapter nine. These are kind of the, the, the simple things that we just started talking about. So to understand Acts chapter nine, we're going to scoot back just really quick to Acts chapter 7, because this progression is kind of a story in three acts. And the way, the way that I thought about it is when we were talking is one of my favorite stories um, is a Christmas carol at Christmas with Ebenezer Scrooge. You, you know this story. And it's a story about a person who is so profoundly wicked and evil and against all things that are good. And he's invited in this moment at night 
where three spirits show up to him, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And he gets a glimpse into what his life has been and what it should become and all these things. And it's in three acts and he comes face to face with who he's been and he's brought to crisis. And as I'm reading these three encounters and these three periods of Paul's life in Acts 7 and then in Acts 9, it just reminded me a lot of that story because that story is the story of gospel in lots of ways. And so a story in three acts tonight in the life of Paul. Act 1, look at me with Acts chapter 7. This is Act 1, moving us to Act 2 and 3. In verse 54, it says this about Stephen. Now, when they heard these things, these are the things that they heard. Stephen has just preached the gospel. He's just talked about Jesus. He's just said who he is, what he's come to do. And he's pointed a finger at Israel and he said, and you crucified him. You killed him. But guess what? He's back. And they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. We have this story in Acts more than likely because as Luke is traveling around interviewing people in the church of all the events that has happened, he at some point sat down with Paul, and Paul told his story of the events. And the reason that I think that we're reading this story in the book of Acts is because Saul looked at Luke and said, this is what happened, because I was there. I was holding the coats. I was in approval to the whole thing. Not only was he present at the moment, not only was Saul present in the moment, he was complicit in what was going on. And he remembers, thinking back, I think as he's talking to Luke, a man in Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, dying in front of him for Jesus, and in his last moments, looking into heaven and saying, Jesus, let him come to. At Saul, let him come to and then taking his last breath. That's the kind of thing that'll stick with you when you were there, when you were a part of it. And I'll just point out in Acts chapter 7, Jake and I were talking about this. Um, there's no big conversion moment here for Saul. It's not like Stephen does this amazing act and looks out and says, Jesus, let him come too. And then all of a sudden, he's not stoned anymore and Saul gives his life to Jesus, and everything changes. Stephen dies. Saul is enraged, and it says in the next breath 
about Saul. It says he begins to ravage the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. And I just sat there and thought in act one as Saul is looking back at his life of what has been. That gave great hope to me because in the moment of sharing the gospel with someone who is, who is not receptive to it, I have no idea what's going to happen later. I have no idea. Because in the moment this anger saw, later when he's recounting it to Luke, it made a big enough impact for him to include it in the story. It's like one of the biggest parts of his story. I was there when they stoned Stephen. This is how he acted, and this is what he said, and I remember. And so just as encouragement for me and encouragement to you, we walk into really difficult spaces, and sometimes we can get down and be like, God, I'm praying for deliverance for this person, and it just seems like that they're unreceptive to it. You have no idea what the Spirit of God is going to do later, even when you're not even there. You don't even get to see it. And there's hope in that because it's not about you. It's not about you getting credit for some trick or something you did. It's about Jesus using your faithfulness for himself. And so act one is this, the darkness, Saul in the darkness. Act two is in Acts chapter nine. Let's look at it. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul is 100% not looking for Jesus. This has nothing to do with him. Just thought, that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says, and you were once enemies of God, he's talking about himself. We weren't looking for him in any way. We were his enemy. But God being rich in love has given us Jesus. And so against him, in verse 3, it says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly... A light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they took him to Damascus. Ultimately, what it takes to pull us over the threshold from death to life is an encounter with Jesus. That's what it takes. It doesn't take a plan. It doesn't take something cute for us to memorize. It doesn't say something for us to say, it is an encounter with Jesus. It is a life-altering encounter with Jesus. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, it is very personal. He calls your name. He calls you by your name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Man, I don't even know who you are. And then he introduces himself. I'm Jesus, who you think is your enemy, but I'm not. And what you need and what I need to be pulled across the threshold from what we just read that we were to who Jesus has for us to be is Jesus himself. He is the threshold. He's right at the center of it. And intimately, he's going to call you by your name. He does this over and over and over again in the scriptures. He shows up to Abraham. He says, Abram, and he begins to make promises. He shows up to Moses, and Moses says, who in the world are you? He says, take off your shoes. The place where you're standing is holy ground. My name is I am who I am and whoever I want to be. That's who I am. He calls Samuel as a child in a dream. And the prophet wisely says, okay, the next time you hear your name, say, yes, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Mary, the mother of Jesus, calls her by her name. Mary, you're going to have a son. And he's going to deliver my people from their sins. Jesus walking on the seashore. Peter, John, drop your nets, follow me. And now Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? And here's what I know. He wants to say your name. We are not talking about a Jesus that is some concept that we learn in a book that's just black ink on white pages. We're talking about the living Jesus who speaks. He says people's names. He speaks in the darkness to say your name. He wants to have an intimate encounter with you. And that sounds so great. And I want that so much. But here's the reality. When we have an intimate encounter and he begins to speak our name, this is what happens. There is a moment that happens of just absolute clarity, like dangerous clarity. Where in that moment, everything that has been is laid bare. And we see it clearly. Paul is having this moment right now. Everything he thought was important is not important anymore. If you wanted to point at somebody who had all the religious answers, all the religious access, all the religious credentials, all the religious education, all the places of honor in places like this, we're looking at Paul, and all of a sudden he is realizing that none of that makes a lick of difference. It is useless. He'll say so later. He'll give his resume in 2 Corinthians, and he'll say to the super apostles, hey, all these guys are fancy, and they speak really well, and they're educated, and they have all these amazing clothes. Let me tell you my story. Let me give you my resume. I have a better resume than all them, and I will tell you this right now. When I ran into Jesus, I found that all of that stuff is just garbage, utter garbage. It's not worth anything. The only thing that is of value is the name I heard on that road. That's it. Everything else moves away. The playing field is absolutely leveled. Everything that has been is laid bare. There is no hiding. <laughs> There's no hiding. There's just you and Jesus. It's all gone. And in that moment, when you find yourself there, it will feel like a moment of wilderness because everything that you held on that gave you value all of a sudden just begins to just spill out of your hands. And you just left in this place. You're like, what now? 
feels like wilderness. Jesus leads us to places like this of wilderness. And you might say, man, that feels unkind. But I'll tell you this right now. That is where the good stuff happens. That's where you're going to find out who you are. And that's where you're going to find out who Jesus is. It is the rhythm of the scriptures. Israel walked in the wilderness. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of nowhere thinking that God was done with him. David ran and he hid from Saul. Jesus himself fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness with the enemy coming and speaking in his ear. And Saul here into the wilderness, us over the threshold into the wilderness. So for the third act, I just asked if my wife would come up and, and finish this this morning. So this is Emily. Okay, act three. Act one, we have gone, and he's in the darkness. Act two, he's in the wilderness. Act three is the, actually the great act because he gets to step into the light. So here we go. Um, read with me verse nine. It says, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. That doesn't sound like light. That sounds like depressing. Okay, well, we have to go there before we can go to the light. So verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. I think if, if Ananias had really understood what God was about to tell him, he would have pretended to be asleep. But uh, yep. Here, anyway, he says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at that house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. He pulls people out of their houses in front of their children and puts them in, in prison. He stones people, Lord. I, I don't want to go to this guy. But the Lord said, go to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So in this moment, Jesus was already setting this up for Paul's light to come in, right? But for Paul in this moment, Saul, whatever you want to call him, who cares? He's the same guy. Saul, in this moment, he's still in the dark, right? He's still in the dark. Jesus had met him, but he was still in the dark. Am I the only person in this room who has ever had in a season where they would say, oh yeah, I've met Jesus, but I'm also in the dark. I'm in the dark right now. Like, it says that he couldn't eat or sleep for three days. Have you ever had a season where either something was done to you or you did something to someone and your sin was exposed and you don't even want to eat. You don't, you don't, your, your mind and your body can't even work right, right? You're, you're in the darkness. That's, that's where Saul is in this passage. Um, I said, I can imagine a few of his thoughts. I'm going to stick to the script because you're right. This is better. Okay. I can imagine a few of his thoughts that might've gone like this. God, I thought I knew you. I thought I was doing things for you, but I had it so wrong. How is it possible to be this off base with my religion? Can I be trusted with my own mind, my own thoughts? 
God, everything I just built my life on is gone. I had education. I had identity. I had authority. I had a name. And who am I now? God, the people in my life that I looked up to, even idolized, have completely failed me. They told me lies. They used me to wield more power for themselves. I am all of a sudden an orphan, a stranger to my own people. Lord, who can I trust? God, I'm so ashamed. I'm so full of shame. I'm not even sure I can ever get up from this dark place. I'm literally physically sick to the point where I can't eat. When thoughts come of how I've treated your servants, would it be better if I just sank into nothingness? Where could someone go from here? God, how will I live through reliving, pulling parents, men and women, from their screaming children as I separated families in your name? I can't stand the thought of who I was. How can I live with who I was? Oh, God, that it would have been Stephen who had lived instead of me. Someone who in his dying breath chose to pray for my salvation. Why spare me the worst of sinners while executing the man with the face of, like that of an angel? That doesn't make sense, Lord. And now what? Did you show me what I'm destined for? I mean, I know the cost will be great. Will I face the same fate that Stephen did? I know that I'm not strong enough to handle it with the grace that he did. How long, oh Lord, am I stuck with my thoughts? Get me out of my thoughts. Are you going to rescue me from this present darkness or is it just some cruel joke that you want me to endure because of the blatant sin that I had in my life? How will I ever face another believer? Now I can't go back to my own people and I've ruined any chance of friendship with those who follow you. Lord, I'm famous. I'm infamous. They know what I did. They know who I am. They should hate me. God, I hate me. God, surely I'm finished, unusable, ruined. I will never get out of this pit of self-loathing and shame. Are there any thoughts that you could relate to when I just read that? Have you ever felt a dark night of the soul like Saul was feeling a dark night of the soul in this time? But here's the good news. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He sits us in those dark nights of the soul, right? So that we, it's its kindness, like Chuck said. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Sometimes we have to sit in those dark nights of the soul. But here's the good news. He never leaves us in the dark night of the soul. He never leaves us. You know how I know this is 100%, 1,000% true? Is because in the Gospel of John, John says, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Who is the word? That's Jesus. So we go back to the very beginning into Genesis. Oh, I'm doing it. Chuck. Okay. So we go back to the very beginning in Genesis. And Genesis says that before the earth was, there was a darkness and void. It was hovering over the waters. And guess what? And then Jesus speaks and he says, let there be light. And there was light. There was chaos. Jesus spoke into it. Then there's light. There's order. 
There was evening and morning the first day, and it just gets more and more beautiful as Jesus continues to speak light. That same light that Jesus literally spoke, he spoke into Paul's life in this moment. Look, here's the beautiful end of the story. So Ananias in verse 17, sorry, I know, I'm a wreck. So Ananias in verse 17 departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on Paul, he says, brother Saul, circle that. He says, brother Saul. He could have just said Saul. He could have said, Saul, you filthy persecutor of my friends, you murderer of my cousin and my brother and my aunt, you know? But no, no, no. He says, brother Saul. He immediately extends the hand of family. It's supernatural, y'all. That's not something you do in your natural self. The spirit filled Ananias and he called out and he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. The light, the light came back in and he physically regained his sight. But guess what? Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. We started at verse nine and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And we end with he regained his sight and taking food, he was strengthened because the light of Jesus came into his life and was going to propel the rest of his life full of the Holy Spirit so that he would go to the ends of the known world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He would be the first person to speak to Gentiles. He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would pen a lot of this New Testament. I mean, God exploded his life for the kingdom once he came into this light full of the Holy Spirit. Um. So that's where we're going to end tonight. I think the question for us to sit in today in the space is where do we see ourselves in this story? Because God says that his word never returns void. It means that everybody in this room can relate to this story on some level. Maybe you need a drastic change. Maybe you're in a dark night of the soul. Maybe you just have dark places in your soul that need the exposure of the light on them. The good news of the gospel is that you don't have to stay in that darkness. You shouldn't stay in that darkness. God has called you into the light. Jesus has called you into the light. He's calling you into the light in this room, in this space right now. He doesn't want you to leave this room in this space without having walked in freedom. It's for freedom that he set us free. So the invitation is this. It's just for you to pray, for you to get on your knees, to let somebody lay their hands on you as you sit in those dark spaces, as you say, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be in this dark space, Lord. I want you to set me free. It may be that you are a person who is full of the Holy Spirit and you have the ability to lay your hands on another person while they are sitting in their darkness be that person. Start right now with somebody next to you. Lay your hands on them and full of the Holy Spirit. Tell them that they are useful for the kingdom, that they are mighty in the kingdom, that the story that's, just, that's true for Saul is just as true for each of us.
Jesus. Thank you that you bring light into the darkness. Thank you for stories that you put in a book for us to read for generations and generations that reveal your heart toward us and what you want to do with us and how you want to use us. God, would you radically move in this room today? Would you set hearts free? Would you illuminate dark spaces in our hearts and replace them with your vision, with your love? And would we boldly take your name, Lord Jesus, out from this place beyond these walls to change the trajectory of the kingdom today? Thank you for my brothers and my sisters in this room, Jesus. Would you speak to us right now? Would you speak to us in this space?